Hello and welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Whoscored's very own Dan Worth and Jonathan Wilson with us as always as well. Dan, we're going to start with the Premier League Player of the Month for March. They all must have played three or more games. Who have we got? Yep, so the Team of the Month uh, for March, obviously, you mentioned the three-plus appearances there, which by default rules out anyone from Man United, Man City, Fulham and West Ham, just due to fixture congestion. But we're going with a 4-4-2. Uh, and in goal, we've got Ramsdale, a back four of Trent Alexander-Arnold, Ethan Pinnock, Virgil van Dijk and Ben Chilwell. In midfield, we've got Saka, Odegaard, McAllister and Matoma. And up front, we've got Harry Kane and Isaac. I was convinced there was going to be a Villa player in there and a still, even though about six teams haven't played still. Ollie Watkins not in there. He must have been close. Yeah, I think he was quite close, but... Yeah, it, it would be hard to knock out Isaac at the moment, and obviously Kane. Kane's had a pretty good, Fair enough. pretty good month. Yeah, Jonathan, good team. Little little shout out for Ethan Pinnock in there at centre back for for Brentford. He's having a very good time. He's had had a good season, and actually, he's been a very capable Premier League player throughout, despite having never played in the Premier League before. Yeah, I, I think he's a sort of a a really good example of the fact that there is actually quality down the leagues. Um, mm. But I think people think you know, outside the Premier League there's suddenly this vast desert. Well, there's not. Pinnock is is a you know he's not a he's not a nine out of ten player, but he's a really solid seven, seven and a half, and on his day maybe an eight out of ten player. Uh, contributes the odd goal, and um, Brentford's defensive record when he's there is much better than when he's not. I think he's a really, really useful, solid player. Um, so yeah, delighted to delighted for him to be in oh, the team yeah. of the month. Nice Ethan Pinnock starts. Start has he got a long throw? I don't know why I felt the need to tell you what a long throw is with, with, <laughs> with my hands. Has he got a long throw as well? Have I completely imagined that? Is that someone else at Brentford? I, I may have got confused. I had in my head Ethan Pinnock was good at long throwings as well, but I potentially have made that up. Jonathan it's not, tells me I've well, made it's, it up. Look, you may be right. It's not something I necessarily associate him with, but possibly. No, I've, I think I've potentially made that up and got him, got him confused. Dan, it's an Arsenal heavy side, isn't it? Which I guess is, is no surprise given that they're top of the league and absolutely flying. Yeah, it's no surprise at all. You know, Saka and Odegaard um, holding down the midfield. Um, and Ramsdale in goal, both, well, all three, sorry, well-deserving of, of their place. Um, I think they've won all of their last six in the build-up to the uh, international break. So, yeah, fully deserving, um, which I guess brings us on nicely to the form guide, um, which I can jump into next. So, mm. starting in 10th, uh, we've got Jack Grealish, then Harry Kane. Here's your Ollie Watkins, um, on, Mo Salah, Trossard, Martinelli, Odegaard, Rodri, March and Saka. Is, is the most informed player. So, again, super um, Arsenal dominant. Um, but, yeah, as I said, we're winning, winning their last six and, and this is focusing on the last six games. You, you, you are not surprised to see those Arsenal players there. The international break potentially coming at the wrong time for, for Arsenal, Jonathan. And Rodri did his best to try, try and impact Arsenal in that international break as well, didn't they? Oh, it was a terrible tackle, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, I... Glad that that didn't. Uh, I mean, the thing is, even if it, I mean, I think it was reckless rather than malicious. But you wouldn't want a title potentially decided by that. I, you know, that would have have really um, left a sour taste. However, however accidental it may have been. Um, I mean, accidental is the wrong word because it was reckless. But I mean, I'm sure he didn't go out to target other good. Um, uh, but yeah, did it, did it come at the wrong time? Um, 
Possibly because they did have momentum. On the other hand, uh, Thomas Partey had been injured and he's, I mean, he, I think he's a doubt this weekend, but I mean, he should be back after that. So they, they have had time to sort of patch him up. Um, I, I don't know. So, yeah, well, Saliba's out a little bit longer, isn't he? But, but, but yeah, again, there's a couple of weeks of him being out that they haven't had to go through. I mean, Tommy Asu's obviously out for the season now, which maybe doesn't matter so much given Ben White's form. Um, again, a little bit more time to get Gabriel Jesus back uh, when Nketi is not available. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it's one of those things you judge in retrospect that it may be that after a, a, you know, a good burst of half a dozen games, actually a little break to reset isn't isn't the worst thing rather than sort of running into a bit of staleness. So I don't know. We'll We'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, and talk, talking of Rodri, had a lot to say after they got humbled by Scotland last night. I think he's called Scotland rubbish, even though they won two. So I'm not really sure what that makes Spain. But just before we were we were coming on, Jonathan, we were we were talking about some of the international teams, and some of them are not what they used to be at all. You look back to the Italy game against England the other night. I mean, I had to look up who their striker was because I didn't have a clue who he was. Germany are struggling there a little bit patchy at the moment, and that Spain side was not of the quality that we've seen Spain sides in the past either. Yeah, I mean, Spain obviously had a couple of high-profile absences with uh, Gavi and Pedri not being not being there. But yeah, you, you looked at that side, and yeah, I'm pretty sure that yeah, five ten years ago you'd looked at the Spain second string, and it still would have been a pretty intimidating team. You looked at that team, and it, it's sort of oh, that's it's really average. Now it might be that in in two or three years you look back at that side and think, oh yeah, that that was the beginnings of of, of a new generation of Spain. But um, I mean. It's hard to believe uh, Hosselu is 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 a, is a. I thought that had to be a different Hosselu. I couldn't believe it was the one that played for Newcastle. Yeah, I mean that, that's uh, yeah. It, it suggests an issue in that area. Um, Italy the same. Germany is weird, given you know they won the Confederations Cup in 2017 with a very young side, and the the, the problem in 2018 was was a, a sort of failure to integrate those players. But you sort of thought, oh, well, when they do get integrated, when those players come through, they'll be strong again. But they don't really seem to have kicked on in the way that they, they might have done. Now, you know, they don't have to qualify. They've got plenty of time to prepare things, and I'm sure they will be good on home soil uh, next next summer. But I don't think it's as intimidating as a Germany side of a decade ago. So three of the sort of European big five look, by their standards, pretty pretty weak. Uh, whereas England, um, you know, it, it feels a bit like the, before the, the Cricket World Cup when they had a really strong team and then suddenly they had Joffre Archer to it. Well, England had a pretty good team and now Saka has developed in the last couple of years from being a very promising player to being a really, really, really good player. I mean, clearly England's best player of this international break. I think probably the best player in the game against France at the World Cup. Uh, Jude Bellingham, you know, over the last year, is, looks a, an exceptional player. So to a, to a strong unit, you've added two more. And so the players I sort of thought two or three years ago were going to be the future of England, Phil Foden and Mason Mount, by no means guaranteed to start. Maybe not even guaranteed to place in the squad, which suggests how much strength England have in, in certain areas, I think. centre-back. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the emergence of Reese James, you sort of thought, oh, Carl Walker's a, our great right-back and Trippy is sort of a really good backup. Well, no, Reese James is actually the best of a lot of them. And, and Alexander Arnold, as you say, can't get in. Um, you, you probably would want another centre-back or two, but but England look really strong in a way that you sort of... I think England now, it shows you all the shortcomings of the, the so-called golden generation. If you think of the... Beyond that sort of core of sort of seven or eight really high-profile players, 
who, to be honest, didn't fit together that well in, in a team. The fact you had people like um, Darius Vassell, Trevor Sinclair, um, uh, Aaron Lennon, yeah, good players, but certainly not at you know, a world-class level. It sort of suggests how quick the drop-off was then. And in England now don't really have that. I mean, yeah, centre-back maybe you'd say is, is, is equivalent to that. But uh, certainly in attacking areas, England's strength is, is... I mean, the fact something like Sancho, who two years ago no looked like Europe. one of the best young players in Europe. And he, yeah, he's nowhere near the squad. It would, have, it would take four or five injuries or him to have an exceptional season for him to be anywhere near the squad. Yeah, Dan, who's going to win Euro 2024, England or Scotland? <laughs> yeah, it's a very good question. Uh, I'll, I'll be going with England, though, for sure. Yeah, great result for Scotland though, last night. Scott McTominay suddenly this this marauding goal scoring midfielder from from nowhere, and Kieran Tierney playing well for Scotland last I night. I mean, we should say well. France are still ludicrous in terms of their talent. Of course, of course, but they sometimes you 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 always feel like they might find a way to to implode themselves. Well, I, I sort of think, yeah. I sort it's of already think... kind of been murmurs this this break. Oh, Griezmann and uh, Mbappe's tension. Yeah. Mbappe's clearly a very difficult player to play alongside. And Deschamps, I don't know. I just, I, I always think he, I always think they succeed despite Deschamps rather than because of him. I feel he sort of just holds them back a bit too much. And you I'm sound not like, sound like the greatest. England fans talking about Southgate. Well, England fans are wrong, whereas I'm right. That's the difference. <laughs> that, that is always the difference. Not often I disagree with you, Jonathan. Let's move on to the Premier League. Then it's Manchester City against Liverpool this weekend. I believe this is the first game of the, of the weekend, actually. So a great way to start the Premier League weekend. Jonathan, Liverpool's top four hopes. I, I just can't, I can't work them out, Liverpool. I still think they'll probably sneak into the top four, but it's just been a bizarre season all round for them. Yeah, has you still? Yeah, but you're right. You still sort of assume they will click as they did uh, two years ago, and and put a bit of a run together over this last sort of ten, twelve games. Um, I mean, there's seven points off Spurs with two games in hand, five points behind Newcastle. Um, so, I mean, Newcastle are the. I think they will catch Spurs unless Spurs suddenly, you know, without Conte, suddenly Spurs find some form. But yeah, giving Newcastle a five point start, you probably don't want to. So it's 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 going to be difficult for them, but yeah, you, you still assume at some point things will click, and the injury problems are just starting, I think, to 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 improve. Um, out of Europe now means that there was was less physical pressure on them. That may help, um, but but yeah, the and I, I think there are signs. Fabinho having had a terrible start this season, I think he is slowly beginning to return to form. Um, but you know the, the the way that they hammered Manchester United suggests that on their day they're still as good as they ever were. Yeah, I'm talking of injuries. Bashetic is now injured, Dan, so he's going to be out for, for for a little bit for Liverpool, I think. Which means, I mean, with him, I actually think he was doing anything spectacular. I think he just added some energy and bite it into into that midfield and was kind of doing things that you'd expect a midfielder to do. But at that time. Nobody else in the Liverpool midfield was doing those things. So he'll he'll be a miss. But against Manchester City, you do feel they're the kind of side that could exploit Liverpool's ageing midfield. Yeah, definitely. And I, I agree with you there. I think Bocetic, um, yeah, wasn't doing anything extraordinary, but was probably the best performer in an underperforming midfield for Liverpool. And the fact that he's, what, 18 or whatever people are, kind of getting a little bit too excited about him. But I, I do still think he'll be a miss. Um, and the pool of midfielders that Klopp's got to choose from now is is not very vast. And 
it's quite aging. I think it'll be sort of Henderson, Milner, Fabinho is probably the one you'd want in there. Um, but you're coming up against the likes of uh, De Bruyne, Silva, Gundogan, etc. You do worry a little bit that um, Liverpool midfield could be run off their feet. Um, and it's not just Man City that they've got to worry about. You talk about their chances of the top four. Um, the next three games are Man City, Chelsea and Arsenal. So they're three very difficult matches. Um, and yeah, going back to the top four point, it wouldn't be out of this world to see Liverpool get zero points there, which they might be five points behind Newcastle now, but they could be quite a few more behind after those three. Yeah, Liverpool's midfield, Jonathan, to me, it feels like I love James Milner. He's been, been a great player throughout the years. He's still, for, for me, for Liverpool to be genuine title contenders and go to the, back to the level they want to be, Milner's getting too much football. And you kind of would have expected Henderson to have slipped into the role that, that Milner's had over the last few years. But none, neither of those things have, have happened. It, that midfield it hasn't evolved enough over the last year or two. And that's still the area that when you watch them, it's letting them... I mean, there's stuff going wrong behind them as well, actually, when, when you watch them. But that midfield just hasn't evolved enough over the last 12 months. Yeah, I think that's the area where they really needed investment. I guess it comes back to the fact Naby Keita didn't really do what they hoped he'd do. Yeah. And then the players who could have covered for him, Soxley Chamberlain and Arthur Mello, have both been injured. Yeah, I mean, as Oxford Chamberlain, yeah, pretty much his entire career, he's been injured. Uh, but the two of them who could have provided a bit of cover haven't. Um, I mean, they can still play Fabinho, Henderson, and Elliot, which I think is is pretty good. It's not, you know, Curtis it's, it's Jones right. is back again now, isn't he? Yeah, the twenty ones. I mean, he's he's you know, he's obviously very inexperienced, but a lot of potential there. And and, and yes, he, he's another one who, who can step in. Uh, they've got uh, Cavallo as well, who again inexperienced, but there's potential there. So he's disappeared. He played a lot of football at the start of the season. He, he just doesn't seem yeah, anywhere near. He's, he's not injured, Carvalho. though, is he? I think, I no, think he's, he's available. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, there are some options there, but you're right. They 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 lack uh, basically they lack somebody aged sort of 26, 27, 28 uh, at the peak of his career in midfield. And I, you do sort of wonder whether, and I was always opposed to this, and I thought it was a very sort of old fashioned way of looking at the game. But I do wonder whether there might be an argument this last sort of quarter third of the season to just try Alexander Arnold in midfield. I don't think for this game because I don't think you want to expose Milner at right back. Um, against a, a, you know, a City winger. But in, in games where the opposition are going to be sitting deeper against you, where they're not going to pose such an attacking threat, whether it is worth just trying Alexander. Because Alexander Arnold was a midfielder when he was at you know, youth level. He was converted into a right-back, which I think perhaps explains why some of the technical sides of defending, he's you know, he's not as good at. Um that you know, he was he was redeployed with a very specific role in mind, which he's done exceptionally well. But when the the other bits of the team, when when the press isn't as functioning as well, he can be exposed by that. So whether there is an, an option to just try him in midfield, maybe Milner at right back. Um, I don't know if they've got a kid coming through who could who could play at right back. Gomez, um, I'm not sure if he's fit. He could play right back, couldn't he? Well, he could. I'm not convinced by Gomez at all, to be honest. But yeah, yes, he could do that. Yeah. Um, whether that is just an option in, in, in a couple of games to, to get a sort of, you know, a, a player in his mid-20s who's, who's in his prime and, and see if he can control the game from the middle. I, I suspect his game is better suited to playing as an attacking right-back. And I, I think the idea that he should shift to be sort of more involved is slightly demeaning to the modern role of a right-back. But in these specific circumstances, it, it might not be the worst thing to try. Yeah, they've, they've freshened up that front three 
quite a lot actually in in the last twelve to, to sixteen months, and without really freshening up other areas of the side. And you would have said, although some of the front three, that, that famous front three was coming to the end of its cycle, they seem to have concentrated just on that and not on the rest of the team, which I find quite strange. That's just three players that they've bought in, three high-profile players to pl- who play in the front three positions. I know Mane left. So they've bought in three players to freshen up that front three position, but not done anything anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they... Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's that's a problem in terms of squad balance. I think the the other issue with squad balance is that they've. I mean, it's very it's very difficult to be critical of Liverpool's signing policy because it has it has looked so good, but with hindsight, you look at at the 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 age profile of the squad, and this season they've only had two players aged between 24 and 29 who've played more than six made more than six starts in the league. Which is Robertson and Joe Gomez, and to be honest, you probably don't want Joe Gomez playing that many games. Yeah, you wouldn't say he's a. If you're picking your first eleven, he probably wouldn't be in it. No. And I think that that's the problem that they haven't. Well, you know, as we were saying about the midfield, they don't have that core of four or five players at their peak. Yeah, uh, you, know, you ideally you probably want five or six players aged between twenty four and twenty nine, two or three older than that, two or three younger than that. Um, whereas they've they have very much older players and younger players and not that peak. So they've got a load of players aged 20, 23, who in a couple of years may well be yeah, exceptional players. Um, people like Darwin Nunez and um, like Luis Diaz, who obviously has been injured all season, like Cody Gakpo. Uh, but they are very concentrated at the front end of the team. Um, they do seem to have anticipated Salah leaving, uh, which maybe hints at what they might be looking to do in the summer or, or the summer after. Uh, Firmino, I know Klopp said he was surprised when he said he wanted to leave in the summer, but I, I'm not really sure they should be surprised. I'm not really sure what his role would have been if he'd stayed, given they've got Jota as well. So I'm not sure if you've got Gakpo and Diaz and Nunez and Salah and Jota, where does Firmino fit? Um, but but yeah, the, 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 the evolution I think is necessary. It does seem to have very much been focused so far on one part of the team. And I think they've got to do at the back as well. I think yeah. Van Dijk is showing his age. Kanata, I think, is is a very good player uh, for the future. Matip is is starting to get on a bit. Uh, and and then once you have a midfield sort, I think we have a better idea of of just where Alexander Arnold is. I think he's been exposed by the deficiencies of the midfield this season. Yeah. And until you get a better midfield back, it's very hard to assess whether he has lost something in this game if opponents have worked him out, or whether he can go back to being the you know the exceptional player he was last season. Football moves fast. Twelve months ago, Liverpool were fighting for everything, and we were saying they've got a really strong squad now. They're, they're going really well, and you know you wouldn't have foreseen this 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 drop off. Not a drop off to this level, I don't think. Twelve months ago, Dan, let's get the algorithm out then and talk talk about Haaland. There's been a drop off from him as well, hasn't there? There has been, yeah, yeah. So we've used the international break to take a look at players' form pre World Cup and post World Cup, and obviously Haaland didn't go to the World Cup, so. I guess you would have thought he'd use the time to rest up and, and come back stronger, but that doesn't seem to have happened. And he's seen the biggest decrease in form of any player in the Premier League. Um, his pre-World Cup rating was 7.90. And his post, post-World Cup rating is 7.15. Um, he's played 13 games, well, 13 games before and 13 games after, um, scoring 18 in the first 13 and 10 in the second. Yeah, so, that's rubbish. Yeah, 10 and 13 is just a really poor return from him. 
awful from Harlan Johnson. <laughs> he should be ashamed of himself, shouldn't he? I mean, yeah, 7.15 average rating. Get out in of his, it. his last three games in all competitions, what's he done? I mean, apart from the nine goals, what's he actually given C? Yeah, I get him. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, he before those three games, he scored two and eight. So, you, you, you know, clearly there was a... Uh, a downturn in his effectiveness. I, maybe that's natural after such a blistering start. It might be that the Premier League defences, because those last three games, one was in the FA Cup, one was against Leipzig in the Champions League. Um, it might be the Premier League defences have started to not work him out, but at least have some idea of how, how to play him. Um, I think City generally, I don't know if you're, the algorithm uh, bears set, but I think City generally in, had a sort of poor January and beginning, beginning of February that, that they... Their level generally dipped. I think De Bruyne definitely had a post-World Cup dip. Uh, maybe a couple of others as well. There was obviously all the issue with Wishal Cancelo and his departure. Um, and, and I think there was a, a clear sense of City trying to return to that more controlled football, which doesn't necessarily get the best out of Holland. And, and I, you know, I think the, the, the key to whether they, they succeed this season is, is how they get that balance. So I think there might be other issues there than just Holland. But, but yeah, that that's... That that run of two goals and eight, yeah, I I was certainly starting to think, oh, is this gonna? How long is this gonna go on? But then, yeah, nine goals in the last three, uh, I think he's doing all right. It may be utter nonsense from me, but I do think what you said about people working him out. Everyone's played against him once now, so they've had a they've had a game where they played against him. So the surprise factor from that first time when they would have played him has gone. So, do we, read, do we read anything into that? The fact that they've all taken well, every team would have played against him once now, so he slowed down because they kind of know how to handle him now. It's not a surprise. Yeah, it's 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 not an either or. It's not a this guy's uh, you know unplayable or, and or this guy's we've worked him out. Yeah, clearly, if you play against him, if you analyze him on videos, you, you start to get a sense of how you can diminish his effectiveness. And I think when he first arrived, there was that sense of. Well, if he's quick, you need to sit deep against him. But if if you sit deep against him, he's going to murder you in the air. So normally somebody who's good in the air, you, you push high against them. But Holland can hit you either way. And there's not many players in the whole of football history who have that mixture of physical power and pace and also the, the, the technical ability. Now, you can say his technical ability maybe isn't you know, quite that, say, Aguero or somebody like that. But it's still really, really good. His, his finishing is exceptional. Um so, yeah, I, th- I think when you first see something like that, you sort of you, you panic and think, well, yeah, what on earth are we meant to do against this? Uh, but I think players do start to sort of get a sense of maybe you can just sort of guide him into wide areas. Um, he's not somebody who's involved in the play that much. So you, know, you, you can sort of keep him quiet for long spells just by stopping the supply into him. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's, not, he's clearly not being worked out. But he he has been more worked out than he was in that first three or four months of the season when he it did look like he was just going to score eighty goals and nobody could ever stop him. Yeah, I mean some good news for Liverpool after we've ripped their team apart is that Man City are Salah's second favourite opposition, so there's a good chance come 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 the weekend Salah might get back on 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 the score sheet. Let's talk though a little bit about Man City again. We'll stay with Man City and talk talk about their defence. Jonathan, he's been playing four centre backs against tougher opposition. Is that an approach you think he'll take against Liverpool? Yeah, I'm not sure it's necessarily against tough opposition because I think he's only done it twice from the start of games, hasn't he? Which was against Palace and against Leipzig. Um, and I think it's kind of been forced on him by, partly by by the sale of Cancelo. Uh, Sergio Gomez, obviously, he doesn't quite feel as ready yet. 
And then at right back, he's got Rico Lewis, he's still very young. He's got Carl Walker, who's had his off-field issues. And John Stones, it turns out, is very good playing at right back and coming into midfield, where you know, against Leipzig, I thought he was exceptional at doing that. So, yes, it is four centre-backs. And yes, you start to think maybe Salah, if he gets a run at Ake, he can he can expose him. I think I think that is possible. Um, Carl Walker will be exposing himself. It's a totally different issue. Um, <laughs> 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 you should tell me off when I used to when I used to make my jokes when when uh, Rob, Robert Cock was out every, every single week and you used to say it in the in the just a minute you used to tell me off I think for things like yeah that. But, but my joke was funny that yours were just crude it's a difference <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but it's not four centre backs in the way Tony Pillars would play plays four centre backs you know, no. two playing on the outside of that but well Anna Kanji as well they're all very mobile um, so I, I I mean does he play Walker does he play Stones. Uh, yeah, he he could play either. Walker obviously gives you the pace, um, which depending who plays on the left. But if it's if if it's Nunez, if it, if it's Jota, um, then then maybe having that pace is is what you want. Um, but I, yeah, equally he may think having Stones and being so comfortable tucking into midfield, so that you've got that extra barrier to to guard against the counter. Um, you know, maybe that is preferable. So, so yeah, it's it's. I think it's entirely possible he goes with the the, the four centre backs again. I honestly, think John Stones is very quietly just become one of the best defenders in the world, and no one really talks about it. He's, he's so yeah. so good, John Stones. Is he, I mean, I, I assume he is fit. I know he obviously missed England duty because of fitness concerns. So I'm not sure if he's 100. percent John Stones. John Stones played, didn't he? Did he play? Did he, didn't he play both? Play both games. That's that's Did how he? good he is, Jonathan. He's going quietly about his <laughs> business. You didn't even know he was he was he was on the pitch. Oh, okay. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's how that's how good he is, Jonathan. It was Sones and Maguire at centre back, was it? Yeah. You don't even yeah, notice right. him. You don't no. even notice him. That's to be fair, I was I was in Utah and missed the whole thing. So yeah. Yeah. We won't go. We won't go into into your Utah trip, Jonathan. I'm disgusted that you didn't go to, to the basketball. Dan, let's finish <laughs> on on this game, Manchester City v Liverpool. Interesting stat that's been provided to me. I don't know whether it's come from you. Liverpool have fewer away points than Southampton. That's scandalous. Yeah, it's, it, it's shocking. Uh, it really is. Um, they've only won three games in the Premier League on the road, um, which, yeah, for, for Liverpool, it's horrendous. Obviously, their, their home form's not been too bad, but the away form is, is terrible. Um, but that said, again, bringing it back to the top four um, debate is that they have beat Spurs and Newcastle away from home. And um, I can tell you who the other one was as well. Yeah, I, I can let you do that if you like. <laughs> Which was pretty, that was the Boxing Day game, wasn't it? Yeah. They were pretty lucky to win that. Mm, yeah, it wasn't the best defending from Villa, if I'm being perfectly honest, on the day. But yeah. I'm surprised about the other two, though. I didn't realise that. The other top four contenders were the only two, other two teams. But I think that's significant. So their problem has been scoring goals away from home. I think they've only got 13 away from home, which is the lowest in the top nine for away goals. So it's, it's not the defence that's the issue. It's, it's, I think it's... You know, it's uh, it's scoring away from home for whatever reason. But just go, that goes against everything else that we've just said in the in the opening half an hour of the <laughs> of the podcast, doesn't it? We've just been saying the the attack's fine, but the rest of the team's no good. Well, no, we've been saying they've done a lot of work in terms of rejuvenating the attack. I don't yeah. think we've been saying it's actually been functioning that well. I mean, they've got that very odd stat that you know, um, what about a third of their goals are coming two games? At the Bournemouth Manchester United game, sixteen of the how many goals have scored? Forty. It's a, it's high forty, so roughly yeah. a third. Uh, I've come in those two games, which is a very odd stat. Let's finish then with our pointless score predictions. Then, Dan, I'll let you go first. What's your score prediction for this one? 
Uh, I think City are going to take it and I'll go 2 0. 2 0 to Manchester City. Jonathan? Uh, 2 1 to City. Liverpool won the reverse fixture, didn't they? They won one nil. If my memory serves me correctly, but no, Man City three one. I can't, I can't see anything else other than Man City win this weekend. We move on now to the Keith Gillespie derby, and it's Newcastle against Manchester United. Another big game in the in the Champions League race. Jonathan Isak, do you like him? Do you, do you think he's a better option than, than Wilson and obviously Wood, who, who's now departed? Kind of more of an all, all round striker, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's he's a lot more mobile. He's, what, uh, nine years younger than Wilson. He's fit more often. Like that. Um, I, yeah, I think the, the question mark about him was always, does he score enough goals? But, yeah, what is it, six in the last seven? So he, he seems to have, I mean, we'll see how that goes. But at the minute, he, he, he's answering that criticism. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Wilson this season scored seven goals, three assists in 15 starts. Wood had scored two and no assists in four starts, and Isaac's had six goals and no assists in seven starts. So, um, yeah, so he's he's eight years younger than Wilson. So yeah, look, he's he's I think he's a, a slightly slow start. He had injuries, but I think he looks looks like he's settling that team now, and I think he's what they need is, is sort of a mobile front man who who can hold the ball up, and, and and now he's scoring goals as well. So that's looking like a very smart sixty million pounds. Yeah, and of course, me and Dan on this podcast both know what it's like to be younger than a Wilson. What have you thought of? <laughs> have you thought of Avisak, Dan? Yeah, I, I think like he he really represents the evolution of Newcastle for me. Um, as Jonathan mentioned, he's much more mobile than than Wood and, and Wilson, and he brings a lot more fluidity to Newcastle's team. Um, but another one of the sort of benefits he brings over those two is his ability with the ball at his feet. He's um, averaging one dribble. Per 90, which might not sound a lot, but Wilson's average is 0.2 per game. So that is quite a step up. Um, but another thing is he also has one of the best conversion rates in the league um, at 25%, which, yeah, just goes to show how effective he's been for Newcastle um, and puts him in good stead, like along, alongside the likes of Haaland and things like that. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, definitely a good signing for Newcastle. And as I said, it just shows the positive evolution for me. Yeah, the midfield battle is going to be interesting in this one now, Jonathan. Obviously, Casemiro is going to be absent, but Manchester United have suddenly stumbled upon one of the best goal-scoring central midfielders in, in world <laughs> football in, in Scott McTominay. An argument for putting him in anyway against Gamarej, Willock, Joel Linton, that's a very mobile and athletic midfield for, for, for Newcastle. So there possibly would be an argument for playing either McTominay or Fred anyway. Uh, yeah, but I mean, they're, they're, they're clearly going to have to now, probably yeah. both of them. Um but yeah, I mean Casemiro's absence is huge. He's been, you know, he has been brilliant this season. Albeit, you know, as we mentioned in our last episode, he's this sort of run of ten games where he's either got suspended, been suspended, or lost seven nil. Um, but Ericsson being out as well, I think, is huge. That you know, I, I think United's little wobble has come post the Ericsson injury. Uh, that Ericsson Casemiro partnership, I think, worked really well. And here's an area where where Newcastle is strong. I mean, I think Jolinton probably. Will be phased out within a year or two, but at the minute, you know that that that, that three does work very well. That uh, Gimaras is a slightly deeper lying um, orchestrator, and then the, the you know the the aggression and energy of Willock and and Jellington. Um and, and yeah, Willock is I think a really underrated player. Um, yeah, I think he's got the capacity to get forward and score goals. Maybe he doesn't quite get as many as he should, uh, but I, I sort of. 
Yeah, people people seem to be really praising the Arsenal Academy at the moment for bringing through Saka and 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 Ketia and Reese Nelson and and Smith Rowe, albeit he hasn't started the game yet this season. But actually, you look five years ago and they brought through Willick and Nyabri. Um, there's one other they brought they brought through then. Who am I thinking of? Uh, uh, Alex Awobi. Um So yeah, the Arsenal Academy has actually been pretty consistently producing players for for twenty years. Um, and Willock is, you know, is a what? Did, what did he cost? Twenty five million. So if you can, if you Around can sell that. players twenty five million out of your academy, I mean, Wobi, I think was about twenty million. Uh, Nyabi, I, I feel like Wobi was more than that. Oh, yeah. maybe the other way around. Maybe it's Wobi twenty five and Willock twenty. Then, yeah, um, yeah, I think he is. Uh, yeah, Nyabi, I think they only got five million for, but probably, yeah, they hadn't ruined it by sending them to West Brom for a year. <laughs> they did got more. Um, and I'm not, yeah, I'm not convinced that, that long term. I mean, Saka, I think, is a phenomenal talent, but Saka plus Nelson plus Smith Rowe plus um, Nketiah, are they, are they, you know, over the span of their career, is going to be better than Willick plus um, the other two I've just named, who I've now forgotten again, um, Iwobi and, and, and Nyabri. I, I don't know, maybe, but but yeah, that, Arsenal Academy. Yeah, I think it's been a really, really positive thing for for a long time now, and Willick is a great example of that. They got Balgan, Balgan, Balgan. I can never say his name. Doing well in doing it well in France as well, haven't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. How do you say his name? Uh, Balogun, I think. Balogun. Is, is, yeah. He's 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 US qualified. Well, he? he can play for US. I think he can play for a few, for a few different nations. I think the under twenty ones, England under twenty ones, are hoping that he may make himself available for the for the summer tournament. But it looks like he may. Go with the USMT, I think, by, by the sounds of things. So, yeah, he qualifies for a, for a few different nations, I believe. Dan, Manchester United struggling against the top 10 on the road. Bad omen going into this one. Fulham are the only team in the top 10 that Manchester United have beaten away from home this season. Why do you think that is? Yeah, uh, that, is, that is true. Um, I guess bef- before I go into anything else, it is worth saying that their away form outside of the top 10 has been pretty good. But that is a little bit of a worry going into this. They've obviously lost 7-0 to Liverpool, 3-2 to Arsenal, 4-0 to Brentford and 6-3 to City. And I think there was a one-all draw with Chelsea in there. 3-1 three, three, um, to Villa as well, although Villa are 11th. Yeah, exactly. Come on, we're talking about the top 10 here. It's all right. Uh, Villa, Villa, Villa are just 11th. They can't. They're not gonna, probably not going to finish 10th, but they're not going to finish 12th. They're just stuck in, in 11th. But we did beat Manchester United. Deserve some credit for that. Yeah, no, you definitely do deserve credit for that. But yeah, I, I think it will be a little bit of a worry for United that their form against the top 10 away from home has been so poor. Um, I'm not suggesting that Newcastle are going to run out 7-0 or 4-0 or anything like that. I think it'll be much closer, but I think that, that probably does play on Ten Hag's mind a little bit. And to be honest, I'm not too sure what they can do to prevent it, especially with Casemiro out. Um, they've lost 43% of their Premier League games when Casemiro has been absent. So, yeah, it, it's not looking too positive for United, but that said, they'll probably go and win this 3-0 after I'm bad mouthing them. Well, Newcastle are very good at home as well and don't ship many goals in general, but they certainly don't ship many at home, Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, de- defensively, they've been excellent this season. Um, you would imagine they'll be pretty defensive in this game as well because they've got, they've got a load of attacking doubts and, and absences. Armouron definitely out. And then Gordon, Sam Maxima, uh, a doubt... Botman and Pope are doubts Joel as well. Joel so. might play further forward and Longstaff. Longstaff's been good, you know, quite. Yeah, I mean, Longstaff's a very useful sort of 
you know, works very hard. I think a better player than people maybe give him credit for. Yeah. Again, I think one of those who will be phased out pretty pretty soon. But he, you know, he's been really good this last you know, year, eighteen months. So, so yeah, there is a possibility that that they'll they'll, they'll play Jolinton uh, on the on the left, and and um, yeah, he'll he'll come into midfield, and that that maybe just gives him a slightly, you know, again, a slightly more solid aspect. Um, I think they like. I think um, Harry likes likes playing Jolinton on that left side if he's playing as a very attacking right back. Uh, whether Dallas counts as that, I'm I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, that 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 clearly is a, a possibility. You could play him on the right and negate Luke Shaw. Stop, stop yeah, him that's true. Yeah, yeah. Putting you as, yeah. as well. I yeah, think I, mean, I, I, don't I like think... Joel, like Joel Linton in the front row. I think I think I actually think that's his best best position yeah. in the front. Yeah, I, I think he is better on the left than the right. I think he's better yeah. coming inside than yeah, than having to go outside. But yeah, yeah. yeah. If, I mean, if his job is primarily defensive, it doesn't really matter. But yeah. Yeah, Newcastle obviously looking to get revenge on the after the Carabao Cup defeat a few weeks ago as well. Jonathan, what's your score prediction for this one? Uh, 1-0 to Newcastle. 1-0 to Newcastle. I'm going to go for 1-1, I think. Dan? Yeah, I'm going to join you with 1-1. Here we go then. Right then, Everton against Tottenham. The end of Antonio Conte, Jonathan. No great surprise. It felt like it had been on the cards for a long time and you know he was going to be gone at the end of the season anyway, so they may as well. Part ways now, and and they have his long time assistant Stellini staying is is a little bit of a surprise, perhaps. Although I do feel like when he's took charge of Spurs this season, arguably they've been better. They've got some big results with him in the dugout on his own. Yeah, they have, I and mean, it, it is a surprise. Uh, I don't know whether Stellini's you know talked to Conte about it. I don't know if he said, "Look, I'll stay at the end of this season. I'll you know I'll see it through. Then I'm I'm back ready to be your assistant next time you you want me," or whether he feels it's time for. To, you know, for his own managerial career to take wing, uh, but but yeah, that they, they, yeah, they, you, you, there's definitely been no drop off when he's been in charge. Uh, Ryan Mason seems to come more to the fore when when it's still leading Conte, but I think almost anybody in the dugout at the minute um, will have at least a short term benefit because there's just that sort of that 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 sense of pressure when Conte was there that he's he just become a manager who. Who who infected players with with anxiety and nerves and and um, I think once you've you've come out quite as brutally as he did after the Southampton draw and just slaughtered everybody, I'm not really sure that that's that's sustainable. So so yeah, I think he he probably had to go. He clearly wanted to leave. The players wanted him to leave. The club wanted him to leave. So there's no point letting it linger for another another ten games or so. I've said previously that Antonio Conte reminds me of my mum. My mum, mum's Italian, and yeah, that rant, that rant. I've seen many rants in that style before <laughs> in my lifetime. Dan, who's going to take over? Who do you think is the best fit for Spurs? Well, I, I, I still I agree with Jonathan that I think Stellini um, has got an opportunity here now to kind of put his stamp on on, manage, on his on his own managerial career. Um, but I'm not sure if he's the right man long term. I think that now that Nagelsmann is available from Bayern Munich, he could be a very good option. Um, I'd imagine that Tuchel would have been in the running, but obviously now he's been snapped up there. He's not. Um, but yeah, I, I, so I think Nagelsmann is, is the right man for the job. Um, but whether or not Daniel Levy agrees with me is, is, is a different story. Yeah, he's on gardening leave, I believe, at the moment. Jonathan, I've never been on gardening leave, so I'm not really sure what that what that's all about. But you know, he'd probably be waiting till the summer, I think, to, to take another job. He'd be an intriguing appointment, although at the moment, I'm not sure that Spurs squad is built for a manager like that. Yeah, I mean, 
I don't know. I'd be very wary in Argosman at the minute. Um, I think it's good that he's he's having a break. I think um, you know you saw the you know, Dean Smith, for instance, going straight from Villa to Norwich. It feels a bit like a rebound relationship that yeah mm. he, he needs to make himself feel wanted, but actually you probably need a bit of time to sort of reset and everything. Um, I mean, Nagelsmann is is what he's thirty four, so he's a, he's very young, and he's already done the job he always wanted to do, and you sort of feel now. I mean, this is me speculating, but as if the rest of his career is going to be trying to get back to Bayern to sort of prove a point to Bayern. Is it a bit so like to... Lampard? I know then Lampard's not the same level of manager, but you, you t- you've taken that job because you think it might not ever come round again. But now you've got you, it's gone, it's never coming back, and. You feel like your whole career might have led up to that. Well, moment, it, I think with Nagelsmann, it might come back. I think I, I don't. I don't see any route for Lampard to get back to Chelsea. because no, I don't think Lampard not. is good enough as a manager to do enough. I think Nagelsmann potentially could. Yeah. Okay. I don't. I'm. I'm not convinced he will take the Tottenham job, or that he'll be offered the Tottenham job even. But let's say he did take it. It's possible that he could, you know, take Tottenham to second a couple of seasons. Maybe. Maybe have a run in the Champions League. And then that could get him a job at, I don't know, Inter or or Milan or somewhere. And he could win the league in Italy. Um, and then maybe Bayern think, oh, you know, yeah, now he's 45 and he's he's had a decade of, of real serious experience and he's improved. Maybe it is worth us giving him another go. I, I, I can I could see that happening. He's got loads of time in his career, and I think he you know he has got loads of talent. My doubt about him has always been. And this I accept is I'm this is the point of view of somebody who covers largely English football who doesn't watch a huge amount of the Bundesliga. Every time I see him in a Champions League game, it's sort of oh, is is that it? And and so you think of um, Leipzig against PSG in the the semi final. Uh, when was that? 2020, when they were really flat, lost three nil. Um, yeah, I, I thought even with Bayern beating PSG this season, they should have. Yeah, that first leg, PSG was so bad in the first half. Mm. He should have been more proactive and said, kill the tie, you get it over with. Whereas he was still a bit cautious. I, I feel he still kind of gets a little bit uh, intimidated by the biggest games. Uh, and I think, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but you know the absurd trousers he wore for that Leipzig v PSG game? That was almost like him having to dress up for, for, for a big game. Yeah, he couldn't just treat it as another game. He had to do something special for it. And he had to sort of... It was almost like wearing the absurd trousers was a was a compensatory thing to, to cover his insecurity. Um, you'll notice I'm, I dress very, you know, very uh, soberly because I, you know, I don't have that insecurity. You'll, you'll notice I'm quite like Nargles, but... <laughs> I didn't want to say that, but... <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, I'm yet to be fully convinced by him. Um, and I also think Tottenham, you know, certainly with the Mourinho appointment, with the Conte appointment, they've kind of appointed above themselves. And again, it's almost this, this insecurity thing of, oh, we've got this great new stadium. We need a manager who'll make people believe we're worthy of it. And then the problem with those managers is that as soon as things begin to go wrong, they just blame the club. Oh, it's Tottenham. I can't, yeah, what can you do with Tottenham? Mm. And so that Conte rant, um, it wasn't just that he did, he did isolate a whole series of things that are actually wrong at Tottenham, but he also sort of, I think, encapsulated the general mood about them that, well, they were manageable. So, you know, if, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, never mind, I'll move on. It doesn't really damage anybody's reputation. What they need 
is a manager. Yeah, they need to identify the new Pochettino. Uh, and I don't think Nagelsmann is that because he's already had the big jobs. I think they'd be much better going for a Deserbi or a, a Amarim. Yeah, somebody who is on the way up. Um, I mean, they could go for the original Pochettino, but Pochettino now is not the Pochettino he was in 2014. He's He's been scarred by a couple of jobs and uh, I think they'd... You know, they, they need this big reset, I think, uh, which may mean getting rid of Kane and Son and, and, and in reinvesting that money. Uh, but but they, they, they need Pochettino as he as he was a decade ago, not Pochettino as he is now. And I don't think Nagelsmann is that figure. I, I'm not sure that side fits Poch at the, at the moment. I'm not sure if it's I'm not sure if it's them. anybody, to be honest. I think it needs a lot of work. I think that squad's very odd. But you've also got all the players... It's not a bad got... squad, is it? But it just doesn't seem to well, fit anyone. It's a weird squad because there's all the players that Conte's frozen out you've kind of forgotten about. Um, so people like Jed Spence. Is, is Jed Spence really that bad? I mean, he's not really good when he's at Middlesbrough. Is he absolutely unplayable in the... In the not unplayable in the way the Holland's unplayable, but you literally can't pick him. Well, he'll is be he back really next season, won't he now? He's, he's playing in France. He'll be, he'll be back next season and be a viable option to, for whoever takes that job. Conte, it almost sounded like you were just making a point with him. I didn't sign Yeah, him, so I'm not going to Yeah, him. no, ex- exactly. So... You know, people like I mean, though he's only on loan, but Dan Jumas, he hasn't played a game, has he? Or certainly no. hasn't started a game. Um, so I mean, that's another thing they've got to get right: the, the getting them the coach more involved in the in recruitment, so the club aren't recruiting players who the coach just ignores. But I, I mean, the the director of football, Patricky and Conte, felt like a, a decent match. Felt like that would fit, but he. Didn't didn't seem to, and they signed a few players that Conte wanted. Obviously, it's clear that Perisic. It was a Conte signing and nobody else. But Patricky's got his got his, got his own problems now with investigations going on against him as well. So, Dan Spurs are basically just a mess. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's also that that issue of uh, who's actually doing the recruiting. Is it Paratici or, or is it is it Levy? Um, and you sort of feel that I mean, I'm not convinced that Paratici is 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 necessarily great in this job. And as you say, the the, the distraction of the UVA investigation. But sort of Levy, someone seems to sort of swoop in. Now it seems that Patricio, you know, his his preferred candidate would be Luis Enrique. But that again seems one of these big names who his record at club level is, you know, not a hundred percent convincing. And also, you kind of think if a Barcelona job came up again, if if another big job came up, he'd be he'd be straight away. He wouldn't be hanging around. So I think yeah, I go back to the the original thing. I think they'd be much better with a. With somebody who wants to be there, who's on the way up, who who could build for five, six, seven years. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I'm in a bad time with names on the podcast today. I've got got the director of football's name wrong as, as well this morning. Absolutely shaming myself <laughs> on the podcast. I don't tell you a name. I would keep a sneaky eye on Ancelotti because he's not going to be at Madrid. I don't oh, I think, think next season. Yeah, they, I mean, they, I mean, they, that, that's they like to of... hire ex Chelsea managers as well. They've <laughs> had four before, is that right? Yeah, I'd just keep a little eye on that. Yeah. On, uh, I think there might be some movement. Yeah, I mean, he, he clearly fancies a Brazil job, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, completely rule out what I've just said because yeah, he's probably <laughs> going to be the Brazil manager. Isn't well, I, I think there's resistance in Brazil to getting the foreigner in, but I, I but you're right. I, mean, I think the Real Madrid issue does does affect things because Poch might go there. Poch or Nagelsmann could go there. I mean, I don't really think Nagelsmann is. Is cut out for Real Madrid. I mean, no. Can somebody who rides a skateboard be manager of Real Madrid? You know, it's <laughs> you know, Real Madrid with their you know Senorio and all that stuff. You know, it's you can't have a skateboarding manager, but um, yeah, a Poch. Yeah, Poch is in a strange position. Um, 
that his one really big job didn't didn't work. Hmm. Uh, and he, he feels like he, he just keeps getting touted for jobs and then never getting them. And he just seems to spend a lot of time out of work at the minute. Yeah, obviously he's had the PSG job as well, as well, Poch, but that's another job that will probably be coming up in the summer. So there'll be certainly be some big managerial moves coming up in, in, in the summer, that's for sure. We've not previewed this game at all, but let's get a score prediction. Anyway, Everton against Tottenham. I'll go first this time, and I'm going to go for Everton 1, Tottenham 1. I'm going to go 1-1 again. Dan? Um, I'm going to go for 2-1 win for Tottenham. Ooh, ambitious. And Jonathan Wilson? 1-1. Uh, 1-1 from you as well. We finish the podcast as ever with the just a minute section. And Jonathan, you are up for forced. You are up first. It's Bournemouth against Fulham. Not only can I not say football characters' names, I can't say the word first. <laughs> um, well, you don't, you don't have to say first in a Bournemouth v Fulham game. Not, not much first going on there. Uh, <laughs> Bournemouth, second from bottom, uh, point of safety. I think their performances had generally been better from a very narrow defeat to Brighton, but then uh, they were pretty poor in getting beaten 3-0 by Villa. All Villa were excellent, one of the two. Um, but they were well beaten in that game. They have taken eight points from the last eight games, um, which you know is, is an improvement on what went before. And that includes away games against Villa and... Uh, sorry, against Arsenal and City and, and Villa, of course, as well. So it's so two difficult games plus Villa in that run. Um, a lot of their players who had been injured to come back. Stanislas is the only definite absentee. Uh, Fulham have lost three in a row now, uh, down to ninth, out of the FA Cup. Um, the European ambitions are possibly fading. Uh, there will be no Mitrovic and no Willian for this game. Marco Silva also suspended from, from the touchline after that meltdown against Manchester United. Uh, Kazawa, Cabano and Duffy all out for them. It's 2-2 at Craven Cottage. I think Bournemouth might make this 1-0. 1-0 to Bournemouth, Dan? Yeah, I'm thinking 1-0 Bournemouth as well. I'm going to go for 2-1 to Bournemouth. I actually thought they were a little bit unlucky against Villa. They were well in that game in, until the last 10 minutes. Dan, your first one is Arsenal v Leeds, the George Graham derby. Yep. Uh, the Gunners come into this game off the back of six successive Premier League wins in a row, uh, scoring three or more in five of those six um, and a total of 19 in those six. They currently sit eight points ahead of Man City, um, although obviously Pep's team do have a game in hand. Arteta will be without a few key players for this fixture. Uh, as we already mentioned, Tommy Astor is out for the season. Saliba is a doubt and probably won't make it this weekend. And, and Nketiah is also on the sidelines for at least another week, thanks to his ankle injury. Leeds have won just three games on the road this season. Um, and to make matters worse, they've only won two of their last 14 in the league. But more positively, they did win their last outing, albeit against nine-man Wolves. Uh, Adams, Forshaw and Dallas are ruled out through injury, but Leeds are hopeful that Vova... Uh, can return after picking up a thigh injury and, and Wilfred Nonto will be assessed um, after picking up a sprain on international duty. I think Arsenal will probably pick up where they left off here. Um, we'll sweep Leeds away. I'm going 3-0. I'm going to go for 1-0 to Arsenal. Jonathan? I'll split the difference and say 2-0. 2-0. Let's see what happens. Next one, I believe, may be a Marlon Harewood derby. I'm not 100% sure and that's why I'll look while Jonathan's talking. But yeah, Nottingham well, Forest against Wolves. Huge David. Game. David Needham, did he play for both? I, I mean, I couldn't even tell you who David Needham is, in, in all honesty. Oh, I might be confused. <laughs> I think he maybe scored against Wolves in the League Cup final in late 70s. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Uh, obviously, Morgan Gibbs-White is the, the recent... Yeah, I don't, I don't like to do it when they... Yeah. I don't like that, yeah. I'll have a look. Yeah. I'll have a look now whilst you do your just a minute section. Oh, I mean, a huge game at the bottom, as as many of the games in the remainder of the season will be. Uh, many games this weekend. Well, yeah. Um, that's, that's what happens when you get nine games 
in the uh, nine teams in the relegation fight. Forest, two points from the relegation zone, uh, just a point behind Wolves. They did have that good run that seemed to have got them away from away from danger, but they've taken just two points in the last six games. Goals have been a real problem for them. They've only scored six in the last nine, and that's partly caused by injuries. So attacking players who aren't available for them uh, this weekend, Wood, Dennis, Johnson, Ayu and Owen E. Uh, the familiar problems in goal that Hennessy and Henderson are both out. Obviously, they do have um, Keller Navas. Uh, so in total, 14 players are out or doubtful. Wolves, again, they'd had a little good run under Lopetegui, but they're only one of the last six. Uh, had a meltdown in losing to Leeds. Uh, Johnny is suspended. Matias Nunez suspended. They're the joint low scorers in the league. They felt the score in four of the last 10. Uh, 24 is 26 points to come at home, and Wolves' away form is not great. Wolves won 1-0 at Molyneux, about, and I'm going to say they're going to repeat that. 1-0 to Wolves. I'm going to go for a 2-2. Dan? I'm going to go 2-0 to Wolves. 2-0 to Wolves. Right then, next for you, Dan, another huge game. It's Crystal Palace against Leicester. Yeah, uh, Crystal Palace are still winless in 2023 and they'd love to put an end to that drought here against the Leicester side, who are also desperate for a win, sitting just one point above the relegation zone. Palace have only scored once in their last five games with a consolation goal on their 4-1 defeat to league leaders Arsenal. Um, And only Wolves have scored fewer than their 21 goals this season. The fixture will be Roy Hodgson's first of this stint and he'll be hoping he can turn things around. The Foxes have won more points on their travels than they have at home so far this season and Leicester fans will be hoping that that's a positive omen ahead of this trip. That said, though, they have only won one of their last six on the road. Leicester have a few injury concerns, with Harry Suter sent home from international duty. Yuri Tielemann's out until mid-April and James Justin done for the season. Balfice is also suspended after his red card against Chelsea. It might be April Fool's Day, but this fixture is no joke, with both teams pretty desperate for the win. <laughs> this looks like there could be very little to separate the sides, so I'm going for a one-all draw. Last time we'll see Dan on this podcast. <laughs> what was your score prediction, Zara? Uh, it was 1 1. 1 1, Jonathan. 1 uh, 0 to Palace. 1 0 to Palace. I'm at Leicester tomorrow doing their press conference. I'm going to have to go for a Leicester win. Leicester to beat Palace 2 1. And by the way, Marlon Headwood did play five games for Wolves on loan, scoring zero goals. Jonathan, Chelsea v Villa. Yeah, I mean, a real mid table clash. 10th v 11th, uh, level on points. Neither side with a huge amount to play for. Um, uh, after three straight wins, Chelsea conceded late to draw 2-2 against Everton, a game that had followed a similar pattern to a lot of the games in the Grand Potter where they dominated, struggled to create chances and struggled to score those chances. Having said that, they have scored seven goals in the last three games. And they finally have started converting a few chances. Jeff Felix looked exceptional in that game and unlucky not to, not to win it. Uh, it was after he'd gone off that they conceded. Uh, Thiago Silva and Aspilicueta out, and there's a lot of doubts after international duty. So Havertz, Mount, Sterling, Abamyang, Fafana, Reese James, and Mendy uh, are all doubtful. Uh, Villa will be without uh, Coutinho, and there's doubts over Cash, Dendonka, and Kamara. Uh, they've taken 10 points in the last four. Uh, their form under Emery has been exceptional, and he also picked up more points since Emery took over. They've scored in each of the last 16 games. Chelsea won 2 0 at Villa Park. And I think they might just nick this one and end Villa scoring run 1 0. 1 0 to Chelsea, Dan. Um, I'm going to go 3 1 to Chelsea. 1 to Chelsea. Villa's record at Chelsea is abhorrent. I think they've only won 2 in 17. I do fancy Villa to get a point. I think 1 1. Dan, your final game is Brighton v Brentford in the battle for Europa football. 
So Brighton come into this game having lost once in their last nine in the league, which includes a 3-0 win against Liverpool and a 4-0 thrashing West Ham. They've only conceded once in those five games and will be looking to run a tight ship against another good side in Brentford. Brentford have only lost once in 2023 against relegation candidates Everton and are undefeated in 14 of their last 15 in the league. They've looked strong at home, but have only won three of their 13 away games this season. Both sides are level on points and joint with Liverpool in 42, but Brighton do have games in hand. Moda and Lalana are out for the Seagulls and Lamptey will undergo a late fitness test after recovering from knee injury. For the visitors, Yanel is out and Baptiste is suspended, but Jensen and Ajer could feature after returning from injury. Um, I think this one will be quite close and low scoring, so I'm going to go for Brighton to win 1-0. Brighton 1-0. I essentially predicting a lot of draws. Not that it really matters at all because we've got no league table for the <laughs> predictions. I'm going to go for another two to Brighton v Brentford. Jonathan? Uh, also 1-0 to Brighton. 1-0 to Brighton. And Jonathan, you will finish us off with West Ham against Southampton, another massive game down the bottom of the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely massive relegation clash. Uh, West Ham, third from bottom, uh, point above Southampton, who, who are bottom. Uh, West Ham have only won two of the last 14. They only actually lost two of the last seven, but the mood is so bad and the, the situation they're in is so bad that I think the atmosphere at London Stadium is is pretty volatile. Um that you know, we've seen that in recent games that when they're not winning, that the, the crowd there can can get uh, pretty tetchy, which you know is, is is probably not helpful to them, but it is understandable. Southampton's form has improved after the uh, the Nathan Jones interregnum. Um, we miss it. We miss it. We all miss it. <laughs> well, I'm not sure Southampton do. They've taken five points <laughs> no. in the last four. They've, they've taken eight points in the last six, which you know is is better than relegation form. Uh, they've kept three clean sheets at home in that time. Uh, Away from home uh, is a little different. Like they have taken 13 of their 23 points away from home. West Ham, much better at home. And I think that probably will be enough for them. So I'm going to go West Ham to win it 1-0. I'm going to negate what you've just said. I'm going to go Southampton to win 2-1. James Ward-Prowse bad bound to score at some point. He always scores in these big relegation games, I feel. Dan? Uh, I'll sit on the fence and go for a draw 1-1. Uh, I mean, we should be starting a new league table or something at, at this point. Just say Jonathan won that the last one, the last load of rubbish that we did, and then just start, start a new one to end the season because we're making all these predictions and they're not they're not going anywhere. So, Dan, I'll leave that in your very capable hands to to sort that Excellent. out. Enjoy that. Look forward to thing is, you probably won't. It'll be someone else on next week, and then I'll ask them to do it, and then it's someone else on the week after that with the the who scored squad rotation that's going on. <laughs> so you'll probably get away with it. That does us for this week's edition of the Edge of the Box podcast. Please subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on, and also give the video a like and a comment as well. If you've enjoyed it, don't comment if you've not enjoyed it. We don't want to hear that kind of thing. Thanks to the chaps for joining me, Dan and Jonathan. It's been a pleasure. Have a great weekend. Enjoy all the football and stay safe.